Chapter Six of Garibaldi and the Making of Italy by George Macaulay Trevelyan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Crossing of the Straits. Ci volte, signore, e sono un vecchio soldato, e percio mi attendeva che Garibaldi attaccasse di fronte ed invince me capitato alla spalle. What do you expect, gentlemen? I am an old soldier and so of course i expected garibaldi to attack me in front and he came from behind instead general galotti's explanation of his defeat overheard by arriva beni lucaraggio inu donu di dio ed io nu laju courage is a gift of god and i have it not saying attributed to a neapolitan soldier by the garibaldini between the working of one great action and the next nino bixio was heard of chiefly through his deeds of insane violence after the taking of palermo the second of the thousand had distinguished himself in the sicilian capital by his quarrel with a brother-in-arms the self-sacrificing agnetta whom he struck in the face for an imaginary insult since garibaldi would allow no duel on campaign they did not fight it out until late the following year in switzerland Bixio came tardily and unwillingly on to the field of honor, because he of all men had scruples against dueling. Agnetta shot him in the hand, crippling it for the rest of his life, whereupon Bixio said, I'm punished in the hand that gave the offense. He subsequently earned Agnetta's gratitude by services of real friendship. Bixio was not present at the Battle of Milazzo, for he was leading his command through the south of the island when at the end of july all the garibaldian columns met near the straits he was sent by the dictator to suppress a predatory and murderous anarchist rising under the western slopes of etna there at randazzo and on nelson's old estate of bronte his summary methods and manners soon terrified the wrongdoers into submission at the cost of only a few actual executions Bixio's own soldiers were always complaining of him. He's mad. He is intolerable. Very well. Under whom do you wish to serve, then? What? Eh? Oh, under Bixio, of course. At Bronte one morning some volunteers recently arrived from North Italy, and not accustomed to his ways, were late in turning out of bed. He went into the houses after them with a horsewhip. The older troops, who had marched under him and learnt to love him, with difficulty saved his life from the fury of the new men, who had come out to fight under Garibaldi, not to be whipped in like hounds. But now an action was in hand, on which his rage to be up and doing for his country could be spent to better purpose. The dictator had been away in Sardinia and Palermo for nearly six days, and no one at the Straits knew when or whether he would return. The suspense on both shores was terrible on the morning of august eighteenth he suddenly reappeared in the faro camp gave his orders left for messina and an hour afterwards was seen driving through its streets in a three-horse carriage along the southern road his movements were still as mysterious as ever for he was again travelling away from the scene of active operations at the faro but in fact the camp and flotilla beneath the lighthouse were to serve during the next twenty-four hours only as a decoy to fix the attention of the enemy's ships and regiments on the narrow waters of Scilla and Charybdis. 
while the rest of the crossing took place at the border part of the Straits, thirty miles to the south. On the afternoon of August 18th, Garibaldi's carriage reached the hamlet of Giardini, which stretches along the beach between the wall of mountains and the sea, at the southern foot of Tormina Rock. Here Bixio's men from Bronte and Catania had been secretly collected during the last two days. Here the Torino and the Franklin had safely arrived, after steaming around the whole island from the Faro, in order to avoid the Neapolitan cruisers in the Straits. The captain of the Torino, a man of peace, who objected to the use of his transport vessel for an enterprise so hazardous as an attack on the Calabrian coast, had been silenced and placed under arrest by Bixio. The troops, 3,360 in number, were already on board the two streamers when Garibaldi drove up. When all was ready, it was found that the Franklin had sprung a leak. The hole could not be found, and Bixio proposed that they should start with the Torino alone. But when Garibaldi took the matter in hand, the hole was soon found and stopped. To judge by the space which he allots to his operation in his memoirs, the dictator recalled it with more interest than all his historic achievements during the next fortnight. That he should cause fifteen thousand soldiers of tyranny to lay down their arms seemed to him no more than an inevitable fate, now that Italy's hour had struck. But to find and cock a hole in a ship which had baffled the other seamen was an action of which a man had good right to be proud. At nightfall the two vessels steamed out from below the rock of Torremina. The distance to Melito, the point chosen for the landing in Calabria, is thirty miles and if at any point in the crossing the unarmed transports had fallen in with a neapolitan warship they could have been sunk to the bottom but the enemy were all away at the narrows watching the camp and flotilla at the faro the night voyage was unbroken by anything more terrifying than the voice of bixio from the torino continually shouting through his megaphone to the silent garibaldi in the franklin when dawn revealed Etna's cone and the long ranges of subject Sicilian mountains at her feet, the Calabrian coast lay close ahead. Again, as at Marsala, Bixio ran his vessel aground on the shallows, but the men of both the steamers were taken off in the ship's boats and landed on the desolate beach called Porto Salvo, a mile from Melito village. There were no houses near, but an old chapel with a cupola rose amid the cactuses and aloes at the edge of the sea-sand. The flat country behind, though it bore olive groves and scraps of cultivation, was arid for the most part, stripped and scarred each winter by the torrents from Aspromonte. The mountains themselves here stand back a mile or two from the coast. But the Garibaldini, as they landed, saw the pillar rock of Pendendatilo raising its five grotesque fingers against the dawn. Garibaldi spent the whole morning on the 19th in a vain attempt to salvage the Torino. He was waiting also for Missouri's men to come down from the mountains near San Lorenzo, whither he had sent them a message to announce his landing. In the afternoon, Neapolitan war vessels appeared from the direction of Messina destroyed the grounded and derelict Torino, and fired, not without some effect, into the red shirts on shore. The Franklin had returned safely to Sicily. 
towards evening the vanguard of missouri's men appeared on the neighboring mountains and the night of august nineteenth and twentieth was spent in bivouac not far from melito for thirty-six hours many of the troops had neither food nor drink some of them who were inland bred dug holes in the seashore and lapped the water that oozed up in desperate hope that neptune would lose his salt by filtering through the sand on august nineteenth the telegraphs and semaphores in the neapolitan kingdom had been wagging all day with ominous rumors from the south and before midnight the ministers at naples knew that there had been a landing in force a dozen miles beyond reggio there were now some sixteen thousand royalist troops in lower calabria general vial their commander-in-chief had his headquarters in monteleone too far removed from the scene of operations his regiments were scattered along fifty miles of road between monteleone and reggio his lieutenants melendez and briganti were guarding the supposed points of danger opposite the faro but at the moment of garibaldi's landing there were no troops south of reggio and in reggio itself only some one thousand men chiefly of the fourteenth line when forty-eight hours later garibaldi fell upon the city the numbers of its garrison had not been increased by a single man the news of the landing at melito ought to have caused an instantaneous move in that direction on the part of each of the columns scattered along the coast road but neither vial melendez nor briganti stirred until it was too late to save reggio in spite of a stream of indignant telegrams from pianel at naples the war minister had been anxious to avoid fighting in sicily and had perhaps not sent enough troops to guard the straits but his telegrams show that he did his best to make the generals fight garibaldi when once he had landed when old general galotti in command at reggio was the most complete dotard of them all when informed of the landing at melito he said that garibaldi had taken to the mountains and that reggio could not be attacked from that side but only in front from the sea therefore he made no preparations to defend the city he forbade the energetic colonel dusmay to take up a good position near the castle and compelled him instead to bivouac in the middle of the cathedral square a mere trap for those who occupied it unless the entrances to the city were strongly guarded these however were confided to the national guard of liberal bourgeoisie whose loyalty was more than doubtful galotti himself remained in the castle with the garrison the castle of reggio is a tall grim building flanked by round towers somewhat similar in strength and appearance to the bastille of old paris though on a smaller scale but unlike the bastille it does not rise clear above all possible assailants for Reggio is built on the side of a hill, and since the castle is only halfway up the hill, its battlements can be commanded by sharpshooters at the top of the town. On the 20th, the invaders marched from Melito, passing over the top of the sandstone cliff of Capo dell'Armi Lucapetra, whose white rock had been a famous sea mark to the sailors of the ancient world. The general walked with his saber over his shoulder, talking and singing with the men all were hungry but in high spirits near reggio they rested again and at midnight advanced to the attack garibaldi with missouri's men entered the upper town by way of the hills through spirito santo 
Bixio, with the main column, kept the high road through Spare, and came in by the principal streets below the castle. His men stumbled upon outposts at the entrance of the city. Chivala! Garibaldi! Avanti! It was the National Guard standing aside to let them pass. They hurried on through the sleeping streets. In the middle of the town they came upon other sentries. Chevala! Garibaldi! Bang! They had come upon the loyal troops at last. A fierce struggle raged in the great cathedral square until morning. Colonel Dusmay and his son, not yet of age, fell gallantly fighting in front of the royalists. Bixio's horses received nineteen wounds, and their rider two in the arm, to which he paid no attention till Garibaldi sent him to bed the next night, saying, I suppose the balls that reach you are made of puff-paste. The odds were all against the fourteenth line, and Garibaldi's column was pouring in upon their rear from the upper town. As day broke, the red shirts possessed themselves of all Reggio except the castle, which was provisioned for a month and could easily be defended against its present assailants. Later in the same day, August 21st, Briganti approached Reggio from Villa San Giovanni with about two thousand men. Garibaldi led his troops out into the country just beyond the northern suburbs and took up a position to cover the town. After the exchange of a few shots in a feeble reconnaissance, Briganti fell back, leaving Reggio to its fate. Garibaldi afterwards wrote that if the attack had been pressed, the royalists might have very possibly, with the help of the garrison in the castle, have recovered the town, and in that case his own position would have been desperate. Indeed the troops in the castle had clamored to be led out to attack him in the rear, and join hands with the relieving force. But Galotti had refused to allow a sally. Hitherto the royalist garrison in Reggio, with the exception of Galotti himself, had behaved well, but after Briganti's retreat they felt themselves deserted and began to lose courage. When sharpshooters placed by Garibaldi on the upper part of the town commenced picking off the men on the battlements, panic set in, and the castle, which might have held out for weeks, was surrendered within twenty-four hours. The taking of Reggio had cost the victors about one hundred and fifty in killed and wounded. On the same day another important event took place to the north of the Straits. Garibaldi had left Cosenz in command at the Pharaoh, with instructions that he was to carry his troops across the water, at the moment when the dictator himself attacked Reggio. There was a good chance that Cosenz would be able to cross in safety, because the Neapolitan war vessels had now, too late, left the narrow waters and gone south to attend to Garibaldi after his landing at Melito. Before sunrise on August 21st, to the sound of the distant firing from Reggio, the flotilla of rowboats put out from Faro, carrying between one thousand and fifteen hundred volunteers. They struggled successfully against the currents of Caribidus, made a wide detour to avoid the cannonballs from the fort of Sheila, and landed the same morning on the strip of flat shore beneath the wall of wooded mountains at Favazina. The Neapolitan warships, hastily summoned back from Reggio, sank and captured a large number of boats as the fishermen were taking them back empty to the Pharaoh. A few minutes after Cosenz and his men had landed at Favazina, 
they were attacked while crossing the coast road by neapolitan troops from Sheila on one side and bagnara on the other the enemy were repulsed chiefly by the genoese carabineers the pick of garibaldi's original thousand and the whole force proceeded straight up the sides of aspromonte by precipitous attacks through the brushwood at noontide the greater part had reached the hamlet of solano two thousand feet above the sea overcome by heat thirst and fatigue they took their siesta in the houses believing that all the royalists forces were far below them on the level of the shore from the precipice edge of solano they looked back down the gulf of an enormous ravine below but the village itself closely overshadowed by other heights covered with chestnut woods and in these a few hundred neapolitan troops were lying concealed they were a detachment of ruiz's men who had not yet gone down off aspromonte from their vain pursuit of missouri's column though inferior in numbers to cosense the royalists seized their advantage surprised the sentinels and burst into the village the garibaldini had an hour's hard fighting before they could drive them out two little companies of french and english volunteers distinguished themselves in the scuffle under the leadership of de flote and of goodall de flote was killed in the street at the head of his men he was a french republican exile who had played a part in paris in forty eight and narrowly escaped cayenne after napoleon the third's coup d'etat he had been loved by all his companions in arms english italians and french and garibaldi when he heard of his death mourned for him as a true soldier of liberty they buried him where he fell high up among the granite gorges and the chestnut woods far from his fierce gay city and the boulevard lights after repulsing this attack cosenz's column mounted another fifteen hundred feet to forestali on the higher plains of aspromonte there they received a message from the dictator bidding them march westward and join him above villa san giovanni their sufferings on the plateaus of aspromonte were severe starved and sun-baked all day at night they were soaked with the dew and chilled with the intense cold of the mountain so that goodall and other useful soldiers were put out of action the movements of garibaldi and cosenz are a model of combined action from two separate bases each had enabled the other to succeed by distracting the attention of the enemy's naval and military force and now they were about to join hands at a spot above and in rear of the enemy's main line of defence on august twenty second the morning after the fall of reggio the dictator and bixio moved northward to attack the forts and regiments commanding the narrowest part of the straits again bixio kept the coast road and garibaldi the hills on the evening of that day the dictator joined forces with cosenz above piale and villa san giovanni after this junction he had with him about five thousand men and was for a while superior to the enemy both in numbers and position down below between him and the sea lie rather more than three thousand troops under general melendez and briganti the greater part of this force was in villa san giovanni on the coast road under the command of briganti but melendez with twelve hundred men occupied piale village a mile up the hillside garibaldi was above them both at campo calabrese 
where Marat had pitched his tents when he threatened Sicily with invasion. These seaward heights now occupied by the red shirts bore no resemblance to the wooded and precipitous mountains below which Cosense had landed. It is a tumble-down land of broken mud banks on which vineyards, fruit gardens, cactuses, and houses maintain an ever-precarious existence. The landscape on this part of the Calabrian shore is more weird than beautiful, but the view thence of the Straits, of Sicily, and of Etna, Mongibello, the fair mountain, as the Calabrians call it, filled the Garibaldini with delight as they waited for the surrender of their foes. An artillery duel between the Neapolitan ships and the batteries at the Faro was watched by both armies as from the seats of a theatre, of which the lower circles were occupied by the royalists. On the 22nd, Melendez and Brigante might still have retreated to Sheila, for it was only during the following night that the dictator cut off their retreat by pushing his advanced guard down to the coast at Canitello but they let the hour slip by in the vain expectation of reinforcements from the north. Besides the men whom they had with them, there were more than ten thousand royalist troops in lower Calabria, and they naturally supposed that Vial would lead these to their rescue. But the commander-in-chief had no advantage except in point of age over his dotard lieutenants. A pleasure-loving and idle young man, raised by personal influences at court to a command for which he had no qualifications, Vial had too much of the heartless flippancy of the Neapolitan to be serious over even the gravest situation. He continued to linger and amuse himself at Monteleone, saying that he would give Joe a ducking if he tried to cross the straits. When he heard that Joe had crossed and was taking Reggio, he still lingered with the greater part of the troops under his command fifty miles from the scene of action. At length, driven to the front by furious telegrams from Pianel, the war minister, he sailed from Pizzo on the morning of August 22nd, taking with him one of his best battalions. He landed alone at Villa San Giovanni, interviewed Briganti and Melendez, and ordered them to hold out while he set this battalion ashore at Sheila and led it to their rescue. He then returned to Sheila, but as a sea had risen, which made the landing of troops momentarily difficult, he hailed the excuse to sail back with the battalion to Pizzo and Monteleone, leaving his lieutenants to their fate without even warning them that he had changed his plan and run away. Meanwhile, Melendez and Briganti were expecting aid not only from Vial but from General Ruiz, who had at length descended from Aspromonte to the coast road and was hurrying along it to their rescue. Like Vial, Ruiz came on alone in front of his column to take stock of the situation. He visited Melendez and Briganti up at Piale and then went down to the main road again to bring up his column from Altafumara but on his way back through Villa San Giovanni he could not fail to observe that Briganti's men were in a state of complete demoralization. Red shirts were going about among them with impunity in cafes and at street corners, exhorting them not to prolong a useless and fratricidal contest, and it was only too evident that the men were listening. There was little of active disloyalty or of political liberalism among the rank and file but they had in August small motive or encouragement to fight. 
they were at once terrified and fascinated by the name of garibaldi and after the taking of reggio regarded him as unconquerable during the last two months ever since the grant of the constitution they had been forced to march under the tricolored flag the flag as it seemed to them of their enemies they witnessed in every street down which they passed the enthusiasm of the populace for the revolution and the open disloyalty of the new civic authorities who proclaimed long live the king as a seditious cry their own officers were visibly shaking with fear muttering their doubts to each other or preoccupied with private thoughts of which the character was only too evident their general briganti was known to be in favor of negotiation the enemy it appeared was to be regarded as more than half a friend since no one prevented his emissaries from entering their lines to talk sedition in the open street of villa san giovanni as ruiz rode through the town noting what he saw he judged that briganti and his troops did not mean to fight and that he had best save his own men from sharing in their surrender a few miles further north at altifumara he met his column hastening up ordered it to turn right about and before nightfall on the twenty second had led it back to bagnara like vial ruiz was pursued by indignant telegrams from the war minister at naples to the effect that melendez and briganti were preparing to die at their posts while he basely deserted them but he knew better and rather than face garibaldi again he resigned his command his successor morisani on the morning of the twenty-third began to march back once more to the relief of san giovanni but was met and turned back for good and all by a messenger from melendez himself who declared that it was now too late in this fashion melendez and briganti lured by false hopes that vial and ruiz were marching to their relief had let slip the opportunity to escape out of their untenable positions on august twenty second at daybreak on the twenty third they saw that retreat was no longer possible during the night garibaldi had drawn the net around them by sending down detachments from camp calabrese to canitello they were completely surrounded with a semicircle of sea on one side and a semicircle of red shirts on the other as the sun rose the garibaldini began to descend upon them from the hills the neapolitan rifles and cannon opened fire but the advancing host made no reply the slow ordered noiseless approach of their enemies affected the nerves of the royalists as garibaldi had intended that it should they opened negotiations a garibaldian parlementaire with the white flag in his hand was shot dead but general briganti himself came out to apologize he explained to the dictator that he would have been a liberal himself but he had two sons in the neapolitan army and so felt gratitude to the bourbons otherwise he said i would join you he asked to surrender with the honors of war garibaldi gave him and melendez till three o'clock to surrender unconditionally and allowed them to send out a messenger who as already related stopped the further advance of morisani to the rescue meanwhile the garibaldian army halted on the hillside and watched the confusion growing hour by hour among their enemies below when the appointed time had run out the advance was resumed 
as the red shirts drew the circle close upon them the royalists threw away their arms and knapsacks and fled in a mob along the northern road they were turned back by a volley and crowded together like driven sheep in the centre of their position garibaldi rode almost alone into their midst soldiers he said you as well as my companions are the sons of italy remember that you are at liberty whoever wishes to remain with us may address himself to general cosense your countryman who is charged to enlist you but whoever wishes may go home at these words they rushed at him with cries of joy and much to his disgust began kissing his hands arms and feet three thousand five hundred men four field pieces and the fort of punto di pezzo with its artillery were the prize of this bloodless victory very few of the men chose to enlist under cosense but as they scattered to their homes they spread the news that garibaldi's custom was to send off his prisoners free and this knowledge greatly increased the readiness of the troops under vial and ruiz to follow the example set at villa san giovanni that example proved contagious along the whole road to naples the next day august twenty fourth the fort of altifumara which had resisted missouri's attack a fortnight before the neighboring fort of torre cavallo and the more formidable castle on the rock of Shila, armed with twenty-two cannon all opened their gates to the outriders of the invading army among whom garibaldi himself was one of the foremost as soon as the batteries of these forts had compelled the neapolitan navy to sail out of the straits medici's regiments at messina were brought safely across to the mainland the race to naples had now fairly begun it was led by garibaldi and his staff many hours ahead of the van of their army accompanied by jesse and alberto mario and by some english gentlemen who liked fatigue and had the luck and money to hire horses that could keep the pace there were more than ten thousand of the enemy close ahead but no one feared that they would resist when overtaken basilicata and upper calabria were already rising in arms the dictator and his companion set out to ride unchallenged along the great trunk road that stretches for two hundred and fifty miles through mountains and forests and fever-stricken plains from the foot of aspromonte to the foot of vesuvius End of chapter six